Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. What's up, everyone? Strawberry Sequoia here with my very handsome co-host, Casey Jones. Oh, you're too kind. I just, I can't help it. Staring (laughs) into your eyes, thinking about smoking a big, fat blunt. Anyways, (laughs) we flipped the script this week, and Casey Jones interviewed somebody. I did. Casey, who did you interview? So this is a revisit a little bit from South by Southwest. We went and saw this gentleman speak. Uh, Do you want to say his name? Because his name is so awesome. I love his name. It's Fabrizio Pamplona. I'm probably butchering it. Probably. But (laughs) the fact that he's not a Spanish bullfighter is a little bit disappointing. But he does something extremely cool. Um, He is a trained uh, pharmacist and he works in cannabinoid psychopharmacology. We saw his talk at South by Southwest, which was Alzheimer's. 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 It's a hard one. And the aging or cannabis in the aging brain, a study on Alzheimer's. And dementia. And dementia. It was fascinating. It was. It was incredibly fascinating. It was extremely scientific. So we will spare you the scientific details here, give you a little bit of a summary. Um, Basically, he has done some slightly scientific work in the use of CBD and THC and how it affects the aging brain. All signs point to good things, but what I talked to Fabrizio about in our follow-up is what he's doing to try and push for a more scientific approach to the study of cannabis and then also what's happening in brazil and latin america with with cannabis and legalization and its medical uses and things of the like so extremely interesting content i love it so we've got cannabis in the aging brain we've got the scene in brazil we've got this very interesting scientist fabrizio aka Dr. Cannabis. Yeah, he was labeled in the national newspaper as Dr. Cannabis at one point, which was a negative connotation, but as he'll explain later, he he loved it. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. Nice. No press is bad press, baby. All right, so how do we start here? Well, let's just go ahead and hear it from him, uh, what he does, how he's doing it, and what he's up to. Perfect. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, I'm a Brazilian and a a pharmacist by training, mm-hmm. and I I had a, a career in, in cannabinoid science or cannabinoid pharmacology more specifically in the last 15 years, more or less. So I did my master and PhD on this subject, including uh, two years internship as a guest researcher in the Max Planck Institute of Psychiatry, where psychopharmacology was born, actually. Oh, wow. And, uh, this was in 2010, so when I finished the PhD. And then in the last eight years, eight, nine years, I, I'm involved in new ventures involving uh, either, you know, new, new treatments or, you know, clinical research involving cannabinoids or uh, new products here in Brazil and Latin America. Uh, right now, I'm working more uh, as a, a consultant in the field, 
working a comp uh, helping a company in Portugal to to set up, but also working with clients uh, in Latin America and a client in in the United States. We have a pharmacist by training that is fascinated in cannabinoid science or bicannabinoid science. He's got his PhD and he's been involved in a lot of different ventures. Yeah, and, and he did, uh, as he mentioned, spend time at the Max Planck Institute. Um, that's actually over in Germany where um, psychopharmacology was born, as he mentioned. So it's kind of interesting how he got into the field that he's in scientifically and what led him to start working with cannabis, which conveniently is my next question that I asked him. Now, that's a very good question. And uh, people often ask me, ask me that and they, you know, kind of expect that I, I say something, you know, very intriguing or very personal or even mystical about the mm -hmm. plant. <laughs> but that, that's not, not the case, actually. Uh, I got involved in this because I love to understand, you know, how pharmaceutical works, uh, particularly the ones acting at the nervo, uh, central nervous system. And at that time, uh, back in 2000, 2002 more or less, uh, there was a very influential paper on the, if I may say, the kind of the rebirth of the cannabinoid science, mm -hmm. where people described the endocannabinoid system uh, using the first uh, CB1 knockout mouse that was out there at the time. And then they started to realize how endocannabinoids were very important for cognition, emotion, and neuroplasticity in general. So that was the time where I realized that was something, you know, extend and important enough uh, to pursue a career on that we could have an impact on people because it was very fundamental from the, let's say, physiological point of view. And, and then my first step into that was trying to design uh, a therapy based on the potentialization of the endocannabinoid system. So here in Brazil at that time, everyone was looking at cannabinoids and thinking about you know, addiction, tolerance, and things like that. And I was one of the very first of my generation to start speaking about uh, therapeutic potential. So that was my beginning in the field. So Fabrizio actually was one of the first people to beg the question about cannabis and cannabinoid research which is, are there therapeutic benefits to cannabis? And this is around 2000, so this is way before any of the legalization and decriminalization efforts that we've seen in the past five years have been taking place here in America. Um, so he's been, he's kind of an OG scientist in the cannabis research world. And I was curious to know how he approaches it, what his fundamental thoughts are on the science of cannabis and how he's continuing to move forward and work with it. Well, to a great extent, I'm, I still position myself as a scientist in the field. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I do interact with lots of different players, you know, pharmaceutical companies or activists or uh, patient associations, patients themselves. But uh, I think I had, I had to position myself, I don't know, it was like 2012 more or less, when the patients' associations started to, to happen here in Brazil, 2012, yeah, 13. Mm -hmm. And then they, they invited me to become you know, a founder and a director of what is today the biggest medical association. And I thought a lot about that because 
I was in a way, you know, motivated enough to, to do that and to support the patients and, you know, engage into medical education, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I realized that I, I, although I, I do understand that activism is important, my, my role in this whole thing is, is more to be a scientist, you know, and mm -hmm. then trying to be more useful than a scientist enclosure in, in the laboratory. I jumped into product development. So that was, let's say, my, my bridge to something more, more real, you know, more uh, actually useful for, for people. And I, I remember very clearly the way I realized that, you know, uh, this was when I, the very first patients were coming to me when I worked uh, with clinical research in, in Rio de Janeiro. And then they came to me with this brown, extract mixed with oil uh, they were most of them were parents from from children with epilepsy and Travis mm -hmm. syndrome these sort of things and they, they came to me saying uh, look doctor uh, I don't know exactly what is inside but this thing is reducing uh, the frequency of seizures in my children my child and I like it very much I know I, I know it's not totally legal uh, it's probably out of cannabis or marijuana here or something like this i don't understand exactly and uh please help me because this is you know it's uh it's it's marvelous it's they, they came to me as it was you know something uh i don't know magical you know something very special and then i realized i could be useful interesting to hear that while activism was important to fabrizio because of his background and because he's a scientist, he knew to take taking his skills and using it to create products and things of that nature was going to be a lot more helpful for people. And then I just love how, you know, sort of marijuana has always been like a grassroots push. And so people coming to him with a substance saying this is helping. I think it might be weed. I don't even really know what it is, but it's working for my child is just such an amazing you know story to hear yeah, of how absolutely. he's really started getting into this yeah and and to build on that point he did mention at the end there um he, di he didn't know what it was but it had some kind of magical characteristic to it so one of the commonalities that we see in the cannabis industry is everybody has this feeling of mysticism about the plant even those that are very scientific and, and research-based about it. Yeah. So I think that's kind of cool. I think it's it's very interesting and it's a good subject that we'll touch on later, probably down the road. But it's interesting how people go about their discovery of the plant and their discovery of can it be useful or not. And in this case, a scientific researcher had people coming to them or had moms coming to him saying, this is helping my children. Can you tell me why? Yeah. And it just seemed like magic. So it's very cool. It does. I had a yoga teacher. I went to a Ganja yoga class, and she was talking about how a lot of people believe that the Ganja plant was act actually came from like a different planet and was oh, given wow. to us as a gift. Which, because it is so magical, <laughs> it's hard to, you know, process that. So yeah. we're like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not it's saying. I'm just planet. saying. Aliens. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> wee wee wee. Mm. Anyway, before we go too off the rails here, um, Fabrizio did have a little bit more uh, to say about how he was influenced by the introduction of the plant to him and what that meant 
for his continued research. It was exactly like this. And then uh, I was quoted in a, in a very influential uh, uh, journal here, uh, here in Brazil. It's called uh, O Globo, like the globe. It's probably mm-hmm. the, the, biggest, the biggest journal here in, uh, sorry, journal, not uh, newspaper here, here in Brazil. And then I was quoted as the scientist that was supporting the illicit network of CBD distribution in the country. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I explained it myself. I had the, you know, the space to do that. and It was all very clear afterwards. And mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, uh, honored by that, by being, you know, acknowledged as the guy that was supporting the patients. This is... Uh, it speaks directly to my to my motivation to do this, you know, to my purpose, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And then uh, a few years later, I was quoted as Dr. Cannabis in the magazine. <laughs> Voted as the scientist that was supporting the illicit network of CBD distribution in the country. <laughs> Dr. Motherfucking Cannabis. I... I I actually did a little bit of research um, after this and it, and it is interesting to see, um, you know, what was being said about his research and what, what was happening at the time. And he did, he was labeled, he was vilified for what he was doing and he was just trying to help out some moms with kids with epilepsy. Well, he's got a great attitude about it. He's like, I was proud of that. Exactly. (laughs) That's who I wanted to be, the patient first. Yeah, and and it's great because he does talk about it as, you know, that that was almost the crowning moment when he found his purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, he realized that this plant was magical. It was helping people. He wanted to know why. He was then vilified, and he was like, oh, if you're going to vilify me for something that's helping people, I'm now going to figure out why it's helping people. And yeah. now he's doing it. Well, so. the advantages of being a rebel. There's a yeah. whole podcast episode I just listened to yeah, about that. Yeah, the rebel that. brain. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, anyway, so we we did shift gears at this point, moving to how he is advancing uh, cannabis research. He had a talk in South by Southwest, so I just asked him to summarize what that was about. So here is what we did at South by Southwest with him. Yes, sure. Uh, this is a, a very long story, but uh, mm-hmm. trying to trying to summarize it, uh, I I identified one of uh, let's say a new molecule that interacts with the endocannabinoid system, and it happens to to be uh, a molecule that enhances the interaction of the anandamide with the CB1 cannabinoid receptor. So it's mm-hmm. it kind of you know. Uh, empowers the true agonists of the endocannabinoid system to to act on its receptor. Trying to explain, you know, in lay terms, and uh, this molecule it's called lipoxin, and it goes down during the aging process, particularly after the uh, a person is 50 years uh, old or older. So it goes really, really down after the age of 80, and if you reach uh, 100 years, it almost uh, not there anymore, you know. So this is a natural part of the aging process. And as this molecule, as a uh, neuroprotectant through uh, the CB1 receptors, and it's an it's a anti-inflammatory molecule, a very potent anti-inflammatory molecule as well, I hypothesize that 
when we age because of this drop in the lipoxin levels, the brain and the whole body becomes uh, vulnerable to a, a certain number of disease. Uh, it's probably a parallel to what is considered to be the endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome. So just to jump in and summarize what Fabrizio is saying here, he discovered a molecule called lipoxin that will naturally decrease in the brain over time, but it is a very potent anti-inflammatory molecule that aids the CB1 receptors um, in the endocannabinoid system. So as lipoxin decreases over time, it runs parallel to something considered endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, which in turn causes your brain to have the potential to be affected by things like dementia, Alzheimer's, etc. So kind of what he's explaining there is the discovery of that lipoxin molecule that aids in the endocannabinoid system in the CB1 receptors. We'll let him explain more, but it's very technical. Just wanted to jump in, give you a quick summary. And in this case, I kind of address uh, or use this scientific framework to address Alzheimer's disease. And I, I kind of confirm the hypothesis that people that age uh, well, they have a certain level of a high level of lipoxin, but uh, people that age badly or develop dementia during the aging process, they have a lower levels of, of lipoxin, uh, meaning that the endocannabinoid tonus is lower than in a health elder person. So that's more or less the, the whole idea. Okay, so let me get this straight because science was not my best subject in school. Yeah, don't say. No, Fabrizio <laughs> discovered a molecule called lipoxin, mm -hmm. which is super anti-inflammatory. And as we age, when we get about over 50, it starts to naturally decrease. Correct. And the more it decreases, what he's seeing is people with less lipoxin are having eight bad aging issues like dementia, Alzheimer's, and other issues, but people with higher lipoxin levels mm -hmm. are aging very well. Correct. Some say gracefully. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Yes, high lipoxin means that you're going to be the Dame Judy Bent Dench. Oh, God, I'm just butchering her name. You know I don't know pop culture references. Yeah, neither do I. I'm even... Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Continue. Okay, so... And then the idea is that... That, so, so what that's called, if you, if you go lower in the lipoxin levels, is an mm -hmm. endocannabinoid deficiency. Yes. So the idea of, quote, endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome, he is saying that, that people, when they identify that as the potential issue, there is a drop in lipoxin. So it runs parallel to the same theory of endocannabinoid deficiency system. He simply identified a single molecule that you can use to test to see if that is the case. That is lipoxin. So the conclusion of his talk at South by Southwest was he used CBD on lab mice to see how their lipoxin levels would be affected through CBD therapies. It turns out the mice that were given CBD over time maintained a higher lipoxin level than those that didn't. So again, this is a non-clinical research. It, it, 
is not administered in, in people, so there's no way to say, oh, CBD will maintain a high level of lipoxin, thus potentially giving you the ability to avoid things like Alzheimer's and dementia. But he did have a, a few people that were self-administering that he tested, and they, they showed the same correlation. So again, not perfectly scientific, but signs pointing in the right direction. Yeah, well, and I think I remember from the South by Southwest talk, sort of the idea here is that it seems to be working in mice. Mm -hmm. It does seem to be working in humans in non-clinical trials. Mm -hmm. And the side effects are so almost silly. It's like, well, you might get a little drowsy or maybe dizziness when you stand up too fast and things of that nature. We all know, like munchies. But... The side effects are so nominal. They don't. They just don't really matter that much. So might as well supplement with cannabis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like when we were talking to Skippy, and we always come back to that LD or the lethal dose in mm-hmm. cannabis. You might as well try to use like an entourage effect, full spectrum CBD, just because the the side effects and the risk of potential harm is so low. Couldn't hurt. It yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, unless you're like allergic to it for some crazy reason. Yeah, which people are technically, there are people that are allergic yeah. to THC, Delta 9, and CBD, and CBN, and all of it. Anyway, so to that end, I was curious, and I did ask Fabrizio, what are some of the risks and side effects of using cannabis as a therapeutic mm-hmm. supplement or preventative? I love health? that question always. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what he had to say. In this case, they were saying that cannabis abuse, so abuse, it's like smoking several joints of high-potency cannabis every day. So this increased the estimated brain age uh, in more than 10%. Mm. It is like if you are 50, your brain is like 55, 56. It's not really, really, really big deal, I would say. Yeah. But uh, we, know, we know that cannabis abuse reduced CB1 expression. So down-regulates the receptors. So it, it could mean that uh, it will kind of uh, speed up, you know, the process of losing the endocannabinoid tonus over the aging process. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the point of concern here. So you would have to effectively have a Snoop Dogg level of cannabis use before you would see a 10% aging in the brain. He did explain before that the way that they were looking at this to actually identify abuse is they use an fMRI machine, effectively an MRI machine, to detect how blood flows through the brain, basically. Mm-hmm. People that had extreme cannabis use, their brain aged, quote-unquote, 10% greater. Everybody else that used cannabis at a much lower volume than multiple high potency joints every day for 50 years did had showed a younger brain yeah i remember at south by southwest (laughs) so somebody asked that question you know how many joints are too many joints and he said 10 joints a day every day for 25 years yeah (laughs) and so we all laughed thinking like oh well i'm not like that big of a pothead yeah yeah. nobody (laughs) in the room smoked that much yeah um but with that said it will be interesting because people use 
concentrates now. And I think the thing yeah, is, though, um, and this wasn't touched on, and this is just a theory if anybody out there is actually a medical doctor might be able to explain this. Um, I think the issue with that is just smoking, like people inhaling smoke yeah. three to 10 times a day for 50 years Versus will tincture. constrict your blood flow, right? Because that's, that's damaging to arteries and, and things. We know that. Um, so I think it had less to do with cannabis, more to do with actually smoking that much throughout your life. So maybe maybe just don't smoke every day. Get a little tincture into your system every now and again, and I think you'll be fine. Yeah. So that's my theory as a <laughs> completely non-scientist. Yeah. Well, especially but. these days with all, I mean, if you live in a legal state, with the various options we have now, it's very easy to get yeah. tinctures that are high CBD, low THC, mm-hmm. or, you know, I love my micro-mist spray. Um yeah. So a lot of different options, which is great. Well, to that end, um, as the conversation always leads to legalization, how you can have access to these various, but we'll call them therapeutic drugs for the sake of this episode, I did ask Fabrizio to talk a little bit about what's going on in Brazil in terms of legalization and medical use, where they stand, and what the future looks like. I was involved in the, in the last four or five years, you know, in sensitizing the government to, you know, to put it, to put a regulation in place. And two days ago, it just happened. You know, so now we have a proposal of, of regulation to give access to medical cannabis in Brazil. Uh, it's going to be discussed for two days with the public, uh, sorry, two months with the public. Mm-hmm. And then with all the contributions of different uh, actors in the field, the government will see it again and, and draw, you know, the final regulation. So just to summarize the situation currently in Brazil, because I did interview Fabrizio a couple weeks ago, uh, where it stands right now, Envisa, which is Brazil's health agency, effectively has submitted two proposals for medical access to cannabis and how that's going to be regulated. There is nothing in those proposals about... Um, self-cultivation or recreational use of cannabis. So what's happening over the next couple months here is that people like Fabrizio will submit kind of their findings on cannabis and the like so that that can be reviewed by Envisa and then a decision will be made on how they want to regulate it. However, the Office of the Presidency is opposed to it and has submitted notes as to why they think it shouldn't be legalized even on a medical level. And we know the president down there is a little bit dictatorial. He's, he's, he's another populist like we're seeing. So he has his reasons that obviously have nothing to do with medical benefits. Um, however, Envisa is making a case for it. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway. So what I think is kind of interesting is that the, Brazil is not allowed to produce any of their own products and they only import, will this change that? Will they be able to make their own products if it becomes medicinally legal? Yes. So the proposal is to allow companies to produce cannabis in Brazil for the purposes of first and foremost medical research and then the creation of therapeutic medicines. Nice. Okay. Awesome. So Fabrizio goes on to explain uh, how he's been involved in this process and what the process is going to look like moving forward for Brazil. So uh, 
back in 2016, uh, March 2016, it's, it's really the time where medical cannabis started to be you know, present as a tool in, in the medical uh, repertoire, but mm -hmm. we don't have products being produced in Brazil so far. Uh, so physicians can prescribe, but uh, they, they need to access you know, products from, from other countries. Let's say some states in, in US when in, it concerns to CBD, uh, or uh, Canada, for instance, or, or Israel, when it comes to TAC, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what's changed uh, right now is that they, they put in place a proposal of regulation for uh, cannabis cultivation and uh, for product of, for final products or pharmaceutical products uh, registration. So these are two independent, I mean, they are kind of dependent, but they are parallel initiatives. And uh, as it looked like, it was very inspired in the Canadian regulation. Uh, I was personally involved in this uh, visit of the Brazilian regulators in the cannabis cultivation sites, particularly of uh, uh, Canopy, uh, Bedrocan, and Med Relief at that time. So these were the three sites they visited. Mm -hmm. I know they went to Israel, Portugal, and, and a number of other countries, or Holland, a number of other countries before putting this regulation in place. But uh, I, can, I can see that Canada, Canada was very influential. And you can all, uh, only cultivate if you are linked to a research uh, study, like a, a research environment, let's say a university or a product development plant, or to produce uh, a registered medicine. So you cannot, under the, let's say, regulatory agency uh, uh, idea, you cannot cultivate at, at your house or with your friends, not even in a uh, patient's association, if you are not linked to a research or a product development plan. So that's the first thing. Mm. And then the second one concerns more about registration of, of pharmaceutical products. So they will just allow uh, a few uh, pharmaceutical forms, so just you know, uh, pills, uh, liquids, uh, tinctures, emulsions, uh, uh, capsules, just things like that. You know, losangles. Uh, they won't allow vaporizers. So uh, right now, they won't allow uh, flowers. They won't allow you know any make it easier to uh, you know deviate the use of the plants or the products from the, from the medical standpoint. So that was, you know, the main concern. Uh, and then, but, but on, the, on the, let's say, uh, the innovative side, they will speed up or facilitate the registration of the products. So they understood uh, that for some cases, we already understand, or we already have a lot of evidence to, to, to state uh, that the products are safe you know, for uh, some patients. And then they will allow product registration without clinical trials, uh, just based on information from the scientific literature. So I would expect you know, for chronic pain, for uh, palliative care, for epilepsy, for instance, they, they will have a fast track, if you will, uh, provided that the company at least engage into research and uh, publicly report the results of, of, the, of the studies along the way or over the years. So it's not a prerequisite for registration, but you need to engage into research and pharmacovigilance.
uh, every commercialization authorization is linked to scientific development. So right now we are we are living a very bad time for you know uh, research funding in the country, and this this could you know kind of boost up uh, opportunities in the cannabis space. So I, I wonder how the scientific community will will react, but I'm I'm expecting that a lot of people will jump in. So the situation in Brazil is unique, and it, it is interesting to look at Latin America kind of very similar to the U.S., where everything is being done state by state. Obviously, down there, it's country by country, but the countries are a lot smaller. Um, and Fabrizio makes a good point. You know, Brazil is a little bit late to the game because other countries, such as Chile, have introduced deregulation and medical use as far back as 2015, Uruguay, everything is legal and has been since early 2000s. Everything is legal in Uruguay? Yeah, they they decriminalized everything. Damn, Yeah. why don't we live there? <laughs> well, they did it because they were spending so much money on, I, I, I'm gonna butcher this and I'm gonna get it wrong and somebody's gonna tell me that that's not the reason, but my understanding is that they were spending so much money on drug enforcement and drug therapy mm-hmm. that they just decided to stop and it's actually sense. been a very successful experiment that nobody likes to talk about but anyway moving on so what is interesting about latin america is it's in correlation with north america what's happening up here and because i always have to ask the question that just led me straight into the one five and ten year predictions brazil as well as his predictions for medical use and things of that nature. So this is my favorite part of every interview, the one, five, and 10. Uh, I'd say in the short term, uh, we're going to open the gates uh, for uh, external products. Let's say companies that are, are already, you know, positioned in the cannabis space worldwide will enter the country uh, with the basic products, you know, CBD, tinctures, uh, one-to-one, you know, side effects like products for perhaps pain, multiple sclerosis, uh, and very high uh, TC uh, content products for chronic pain. So I'd say uh, the market will have three options basically for the patients, for the basic applications. Then in five years, I'd say that some Brazilian companies will you know, grow muscles and, and, and have more innovative uh, uh, products coming into the market. So that's more or less the timeline that I see my uh, uh, product applications into the aging process, for instance, coming into place. And in 10 years, I'll bet that most of the companies worldwide, which are not solid enough, uh, will, will bankrupt, will, will die, and we'll have, you know, I don't know, a bunch of very big conglomerates dominating the market. And, and probably Brazil will be one very important piece for these conglomerates in Latin America. Uh, I would bet that Brazil will become uh, the biggest producer of cannabis, at least in Latin America, if not in Americas in general, in 10 years. So slightly different on the one, five and 10 year predictions, obviously being in a completely different country than America. And a lot of the people that we've interviewed in the past are US based. So, but some similarities, you know, the use of high THC and CBD um, for chronic pain, more deregulation and access to cannabis as a plant. Interestingly, was the conversation about 
Brazil becoming one of the largest producers worldwide and most importantly, the largest producer in Latin America, which is yeah. fair. They got plenty of land down there. I wonder if that's going to become true. It, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. It's it, so it, interesting. It would make sense, right? They have a great climate. They have a bunch of land. Yeah. So probably. Let's get a weed farm in Brazil. There we go. We know a guy. Inch by inch, <laughs> row by row, gonna make this garden grow. Anyways, so yeah, speaking yeah. of gardens, you talked to him as well about the sort of the issue that it's, it's in the global cannabis industry of the environmental impact. Yeah, so I, I'm, I don't know how familiar everybody is out there with Brazil, but they're really good at cutting down the rainforest to make room for cows. So I asked, you know, are there any sort of conversations from a regulatory sense that brings up the potential for the environmental impact of cannabis cultivation? Yeah, I don't see this conversation, you know, picking up uh, right now, but what I saw is the interest of big uh, commodity producers, let's say sugarcane producers, soy producers, uh, I've seen their interest in, in hemp cultivation, you know, because of, in one side, let's say, ecological advantages of producing hemp over sugarcane or over soy, even if it is as a rotation culture or something like that, but also for, you know, the kind of products that you can make, be it biodiesel, be it paper, be it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, fabric, things like that. Uh, I wouldn't say that this is going to pressure, let's say, Amazon more than it has already been pressured. I'd say that some of these big commodity producers will shift to cannabis and hemp when the right time comes. It's at least good to hear that he doesn't believe it's going to have much more of an effect on the Amazon and that companies will make a shift and that hemp is just a sustainable product in general. So when that shift happens, it, it should be better for the environment and the world. Yeah. And, and one thing he did mention was rotation cultures, which is the idea of, you know, going between soy and hemp. And so necessarily not maybe making more space in terms of farmland, um, perhaps just using it differently. So that's cool. It's very cool. It's a good outlook there. One thing Fabrizio did mention at the end of the interview, we always ask people to, you know, say things what was one thing that you would like to mention that we haven't asked he talked about public interaction uh allowing people to have a platform to share their experiences effectively destigmatization of the plant which i thought was very interesting well there are uh, uh, a lot of things you know in the horizon uh, from a scientific point of view and i would say that understanding the synergy between different compounds is one of my you know, main areas of interest as well. So, uh, uh, last year, for instance, I, I presented some, some research showing that CBD, when it's, in the, uh, when it's in, in the plant, let's say in the phyto extract, is way more potent than when presented isolated. And I'd say that this kind of things is a, a very important area of research. And I'd like to you know, motivate uh, physicians and medical boards who has experience in the natural products in, uh, of cannabis to you know, report what they are saying because as far, uh, uh, sorry, report of what they're seeing because so far 
I see a, a big mismatch from what is written, you know, in the papers of companies resisting products internationally and, and the experience, accumulated experience of physicians and patients. In the case of CBD, for instance, I, I, I see that people report, you know, doses which are five to ten times lower than what, what is written in the papers. And then uh, having this experience, you know, uh, becoming public, you know, written or in YouTube or whatever form that we can access that will help the discussion with the regulators because right now the regulators have a different understanding of what is cannabis and what is hemp because they don't talk with people, they just read papers. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, makes sense. So more, more public interaction, hopefully. More public interaction, more, you know, uh, space to talk about clinical experience and patient experience with the cannabis because I think this is a, a big inspiration for us as a scientist and uh, all the information is already there. We, we don't need to you know fish in the sea if we can fish in the boat. Okay, so he's just basically saying more public interaction, even though it's not legalized, can destigmatize and offer scientists that are a little more brave like Fabrizio mm -hmm. to use sort of this information that's not clinical but people's tests on themselves and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, exactly. Almost allowing a public database of information for people to access such as the Mary Jane experience. Information and education are so important in this space where we don't have the right research yet which is why we do what we do and we try and take a deep dive into these subjects. Which brings us to my favorite part. If you have anything to comment or say about today's episode, please reach out to us. This was a highly technical, highly scientific episode. We will try to do more of this in the future. Um, if anything might need to be corrected, let us know. We'd like to get the real and true information out there in a public forum. In a public forum. Yeah, so that's it for this week, as always. Thank you so much for listening, and peace out, potheads. Peace out, potheads. We are the Mary Jane Experience. You can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as MaryJaneExperience.com. We have launched a new series called Shit's Delicious Micro-Reviews of Products. We've only done a couple, but more to come there. If you have any products that you want to see reviewed or any suggestions, please let us know. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with you and your friends and family so we can get the good word out there in a public forum to decriminalize cannabis to allow people access to this wonderful, magical plant. Exactly. And if you did enjoy this podcast or any of our podcasts, please hit that subscribe button and write us a review and let us know your thoughts. It really does help. It, it's Times I, I want to put in like the smash that like button, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> <laughs> like a bad like early two thousands DJ. Here on the Mary Jane Experience ninety seven point three. Follow, 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 like. Anyway, I'm losing it. What he said. <laughs> smash that subscribe button. <laughs> smash it, smush it. <laughs> love it. Make love to it. Um, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I've got interesting quick. All right, anyway. Take care, everybody. We love you. Good night, buddies. Peace out.